Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. I think one of the unique things about us, I think we're the only Christian ministry in the world that has a SWAT team. We have our own SWAT team that the government has approved. And it's crazy. We were, we were, we were living in SWIPOC, right? So we were, we were getting intel because that was the big, big part of uh, trafficking. But rescues weren't happening. And we said, one day we need to have a SWAT team. And crazy enough, the government approved it. And in seven years, they rescued over 1,500 girls and put 600 bad guys in prison. Happy Labor Day weekend, and welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons here on Faith Radio. Gabe will be joining us shortly. I'm Paul Perot, and key to the mission of Q, as you heard just a few moments ago, is to help you advance good. The flourishing of people, ultimately through the power of the gospel, yet we also seek to address the needs of this world and where we as Christians can, indeed, should act. For example, human trafficking. It's a topic we've addressed often from the stages at Q events through the years and on this show as well, and we want to revisit that issue this weekend. The thing is, so many people are unaware of the issue of human trafficking and slavery. They think it's something from the past or it's happening only somewhere else, not here in America. Guess what? That's not true. It's a global issue, yes, and it's also a national issue here in the U.S. Now, although it's only the start of September, since some stores already have Christmas displays, you know December will be here soon enough. And there's a great movement that we here at Q are behind that helps to draw attention to the issue. It's called Dress Sember. Now, a few years ago, Gabe sat down and talked with its founder, Blythe Hill. Let's take a few moments and hear a portion of that conversation again here on this week's Q Ideas. Blythe, I'm so glad that we're able to finally talk to you. I know you've been a part of the Q community for a very long time, but anytime I meet somebody who has had an idea and then had the courage to actually take the steps towards seeing that idea become reality, they're my heroes. And so thank you for the way you have led in this incredible movement called Dress Simber. But I want you to first just share with our listeners a little bit about your own story and how did how did all this get started? Yeah, well, thank you. It's very a very generous statement. Um, yeah, well, so Dressember, um, it, you know, it's an anti-human trafficking nonprofit organization and we have our, our annual campaign every year in the winter, but it really, it started as just this, um, personal style challenge, uh, with no campaign or cause element attached to it. I started it when I was in college, really out of, um, kind of just a need for a creative outlet while I was in grad school. Yeah. You kind of can get bored in grad school, right? So you're like, I I gotta, (laughs) I gotta do something other than just study. And I mean, did you come up with the name? 
I did. I love puns. That that's kind of what sealed the deal for me is like, oh my gosh, that name is so good. I I was like, you know, just on a whim, like, well, what if I tried wearing dresses every day? And it, it happened to be November that I had the idea. And so then December was the next full month. And I was like, oh, a month of dresses in December, December. Like, yep. I love that. <laughs> and so the idea is that people commit to dressing a certain way in the month of December to raise awareness. Talk a little bit about what they're raising awareness for and how this functionally works and who who tends to do this. Is it mostly just college students? Yeah, we have thousands of people across the world who commit to wearing either a dress or a tie, um, or every once in a while there's someone who wears a kilt, which is kind of fun, during every day during the month of December as a way to raise awareness and money for anti-trafficking programs across the U.S. and across the world. Um, and we have kind of, we're learning like two very different populations that participate. There's like the super passionate, energetic, like college community. And then there's also parents of young or, or grown children who participate as a way to kind of lead uh, an example of advocacy to their children or, or participate with their children, which is really fun. Um, yeah. So we're seeing like kind of a a wide demographic join. And what, what was it that was the genesis for this? I know anti-human trafficking is the issue that you've cared so deeply about, but for, you know, usually when there's this type of emphasis, this kind of a burden, it's coming from a deeper place. What what were your connections to why you cared so much about this? Yeah, I first learned about human trafficking um, probably around 2005. I really just like stumbled on an article about sex trafficking in India and was just stopped in my tracks. Like I could not believe that this is happening and it's happening on the scale that it's happening. And I, um, I really took for granted the reason that I felt this like personal urgency about it. And I thought like, oh, everyone would feel this way if they, if they knew what was happening. Um, but for me, it really, you know, the reason I, I felt so passionate and continue to feel this sort of unending fire for the issue is, is really, um, because of my own experience of sexual abuse as a little girl. Um, wow. And yeah. And and I mean, this is an occurrence for as I was reading recently, it's one in four girls experience some type of sexual abuse in their childhood yeah. and one in six boys. So I know that it's deeply personal, but what of that can you share with us was part of your journey towards creating this? Yeah, I think, you know, just having this glimpse into the impact of sexual abuse on a person, like I I was around four or five when I experienced um, my abuse and it, it took years, like I would even say decades to really process the impact of that experience and, and heal and, and forgive and move forward. And so every sort of all the weight of shame and guilt and the impact on identity and worth that it has on a person, it's, it's really heavy and it's really complex. And so it just, um, yeah, it just continues to fire me up and it's given me this passion for um, primarily women and girls, but it does also impact men and boys. Um, But this idea of restoring dignity to people who have been exploited is just something I'm so passionate about. (laughs) 
that again was just a portion of Gabe's conversation with Blythe Hill, the founder of the annual event Dress Sember. It's something we all can do later this year to draw attention to the horror of human trafficking. Now, if you're a Q Media subscriber, you can get the full conversation there. Oh, and if you're not a member of Q Media yet, remember you can request a 30-day trial subscription so you can check this conversation and many more out. Just go to qideas.org and again, request your free trial subscription. If you want to learn more about Dressember, well, just simply go to Dressember.org. The word dress, E-M-B-E-R, Dressember.org. Gabe joins us now in studio. And Gabe, as we talk about dealing with the issue of human trafficking, yes, the immediate concern is saving and restoring the victims of human trafficking. But as we'll hear today, we can't just stop there if we want to fight this scourge. Now, when we began the Q Conference 2007, I remember inviting David Batstone. He was someone who, in those times, was advancing this idea that we needed to be, as the church, involved in human trafficking. I can tell you there were very few churches, very few leaders who were very aware of this problem, this complete injustice happening in the U.S. We didn't understand that there were still slaves in the world. Gary Haugen with International Justice Mission had been starting to raise the alarm. He was starting to move into that with IJM. And so much was starting to take place and catalyze. Well, now, 15 years later, people are aware of it. People understand human trafficking. This is a thing. It's a thing that happens in the U.S. It's a thing that happens around the world. But also, there's a lot of people paralyzed, unsure, what do we do about it? How do we stop it? Can we make a difference? And so today, that's what we wanted to talk about is what does it look like for a leader who's compelled to go be a part of stopping human trafficking, what does it mean for them to go show up in another country and start to do that work and then to faithfully do it over years, which means not only rescuing women, but confronting pimps and starting to rehabilitate and starting to minister to those who actually brought people into human trafficking. It's an amazing story that Don Brewster is going to share. And for those of you who've either worked in this space or maybe you've never heard a story like this. I think it's going to inspire you. It's going to encourage you. And we're going to leave you with a few practical ways all of us can be a part of what it looks like moving forward to be a part of stopping human trafficking and at least doing your part. Even if you feel like, of course, not one person can stop this. But if all of us do our part, if we're faithful to steward the information we're getting today and to take action, then that will lead to at least something happening that can stop this evil that overwhelms so many places, so many cities, so many families, so many lives. And so let's listen now to this conversation with the CEO of Agape International Missions. We call him AIM, Don Brewster. Welcome, Don. Well, the organization you created, which is called Agape International Mission, we refer to it as AIM. Um, you do things a little differently when it comes to how you fight human trafficking. And I'd, I'd like to just hear, because you guys are on the ground. I mean, this has been your life in Cambodia and now moving into Belize. But talk a little bit about your philosophy on how you've come about creatively trying to attack this problem. Well, you know, I'd like to say we had this vision and we fulfilled, you know, we knew exactly what we were going to do, but it didn't work out that way. We came with the idea there was a need for aftercare. So we said, we're going to build an aftercare home, and we want to build one that, that takes a girl from more being a survivor to thriving. So we did that. We think, wow, this is working. You know, they've experienced the love of Christ. They're healed, but what now? You know, they, they, they can't keep staying with us. So we think, well, we have to reintegrate them in a healthy way. And that reintegration was going to require that 
for it to be healthy, that they continue to be connected to a family, right? That they, that they condition and get unconditional love and, and find a purpose beyond themselves. And in Cambodia, that's not a very easy thing to do. There's not churches. And so what we have, when a girl's reintegrated, we have a trained mentor and discipler that will stay with her the rest of her life if that's what it takes. Well, then that's going well, but realize, wow, we keep getting more and more girls, right? We can't keep up. Uh, we've got to do something about prevention. And there's a city in Cambodia called Swaipak that was the epicenter for trafficking. And we did some outreach there, and, and it really came to us as, you know, this, is, this evil requires heart transformation. And Jesus visits Swaipak. And we decided, well, he needs to move there. So we, we planted a church in the middle of this hell. Uh, it was, when we first moved there, my wife couldn't walk down the street by herself because of the death threats that would come against her. But over time, as we reached down in the community with some, to build relationships where people could experience the love of Christ in we did it through education. We opened a school for about 1,500. But one thing that was really different is you're not reaching the pimps, the traffickers, right, the, the users of girls. And we thought, how can we connect with them? What can we offer them? Because none of the programs we had would, would reach them. And I mean, we, this is amazing to me. So you, you weren't just saying we're going to help the girls who have been victims of this injustice, but... We're going to take on this mission of trying to reach the pimps. We're going to try to rehabilitate and work with the actual traffickers. Um, how was that met in the community, and how, how did you get creative about how you do it? Well, what, what, it, what we realized is there was one thing that all those men liked, kickboxing. And that was like an honorable thing in Cambodia. We were able to find a Christian kickboxing coach who was a national champion at one time. Like, that's how God provided all along. And we started this gym. And it was in this little tiny space. And over time, 22 bad guys became good guys, became professional kickboxers on TV, and were able to use their influence to influence other men to stop being those bad guys. We actually had three national champions out of that little gym. Amazing. And next year in the Asian Games, one of our guys is going to be representing Cambodia. Wow. I mean, I love the creativity. Isn't that awesome? Just go and look. What is it going to take? Yeah, what is, what is it going to take? Um, yeah, that takes like a holy imagination to just go, how are we going to serve a need that they have so we can build relationships so they can be introduced to really get freedom? Um, amazing story. Now, as you guys think about this, you do more than just the economic development and more than just education. I mean, I think it's through this commitment to relationship, discipleship, staying with people over the long haul, where you don't always see these quick successes. It's, it's more of a long journey and a long story. But why have you been committed to that type of process? Well, man, economic development, education, law enforcement, all good things. But the truth, they've never defeated evil anywhere. And until these people, whether whatever side they're on, can experience the love of Christ for that transformation to begin, for them to even be curious about Jesus, 
and what we've seen, just what you said, sometimes people want a quick solution to something like trafficking, and there is no quick solution. It's one heart at a time. And what we've seen is when people experience that love, um, one of the crazy things that happened is we've had somebody come over to make a film about the gym. And so they interviewed 22 guys. And this was a secular company. And, and they had said, like, they can't wait to get the reason these guys are at the gym and why they like it. All 22 guys interviewed individually said, it's the first place I was ever loved. And these are the worst of the worst, these guys. That's amazing. Yeah. So for you, as you've just gone through this journey with your wife, I mean, what have you learned in, like, trusting God, your relationship with God, as you try to just show up in the place where you felt the burden, where you saw the injustice, and you just showed up with what you had to offer? What, what has that done for you guys? And, and what can we learn? And what, what would you say to a group of leaders that oftentimes um, are confronted with similar problems but don't always know what to do or, or how they're going to figure out the solution 15 years from now. I know for you guys, you didn't know this was going to be the journey. You just kind of one day at a time stepped into it. So what, what was it about your faith that helped you to do that? Well, I, th- I think that uh, the most important thing is see a need, fill it, right? And, and being able to persevere. When people would ask us, how can you pray for, pray for us or for the people? And we say, persevering love, because that was the only thing. So if, if, if God's love would flow through us, we would see transformation, not just of bad guys or victims, but of a whole community. If you could go to Swipok today where Bridget couldn't walk down the street without being threatened, it, kids rollerblade on the main street of Swipok today. It's a community that's thriving, and it's not in... The school and economic development, like we have employment centers for girls as they come through our program, all those things are good. But again, it's the love that came through them. It's even like, I think one of the unique things about us, I think we're the only Christian ministry in the world that has a SWAT team. We have our own SWAT team that the government has approved. And it's crazy. We were, we were, we were living in Swipot, right? So we were, we were getting intel because that was the big, big part of uh, trafficking. But rescues weren't happening. And we said, one day we need to have a SWAT team. And crazy enough, the government approved it. And in seven years, they rescued over 1,500 girls and put 600 bad guys in prison. Well... This theme of love your enemies, I mean, the, the thought of this kickboxing gym and, and traffickers and pimps, and then the girls that you've rescued, I mean, have you seen forgiveness play a part in this journey amongst that community? Uh, incredible forgiveness, and even against the perpetrators. Uh, I'm going to give you a really short story, but uh, 15 years ago, five girls came to our aftercare center. Uh, when rescued, they said it was the worst, the federal agents said it was the worst case of child abuse they'd ever seen. These girls, 8 to 12 years old, not speaking the language, came to the United States to testify against this guy who was extradited. 
crazy to see these little girls walking into a courtroom packed with people. The guy that abused them 15 feet from them, staring at them, and girls on the stand for up to three hours. After the trial, he was convicted on all charges and sentenced to 220 years in prison. And that's a pretty good story by itself, right? But these, there was a technicality in the law, and last year he was granted a retrial over a small technicality, and these girls were all asked to come back. And so they bravely came back to relive the worst part of their lives, again on the witness stand for a long, long time, so incredibly brave. Um, and again, he was convicted on all charges and uh, resentenced to 220 years. But it, how it impacted a federal judge. The federal judge took those five girls out for dinner after the, after the trial. It's a great restaurant, really fancy. I was a little shocked. They, they ordered spicy margaritas. Uh, you know, I, I, I see him this tall, right? But after, after dinner, this judge gave each girl her cell phone number and her home address and said, if you're ever in L.A., you come and stay with me. I mean, their, their impact. The next, day, the next day, we're sitting with those five girls, Bridget and I are, and one of them says, we need to pray for Michael Pepe, the man that had abused them so horribly. And those five girls got in a circle holding hands and prayed for this guy's salvation. That's a forgiveness I really don't understand, right? Yep, that's beautiful. And uh, we're, as we conclude here, I think people get a little overwhelmed around the human trafficking topic and feel like there's not a lot they can do. Um, but I know you guys see it a little bit differently. So for businesses, business owners here, churches, people in education, I mean, what, what are some of the ways that we can all be a part of the solution here? Mm-hmm. Well, uh... There's lots of ways, actually, in, in our website, uh, aimfree.org slash QIdeas. We'll give a lot of choices, but I want to just share one that actually you need no training. You need no expertise. And in, in your own home, in your own community, you can have a Im- global impact. That's fighting porn. Porn drives sex trafficking. In the church, over 50% of men in the church use porn. Over 50% of pastors use porn. And it's easy for me to sit up here, right? And I won't see you guys again, so I can be... It takes no courage. But for us, for us men especially, to, to sit with our friends and talk about the impact of porn, not only on ourselves and on our families, but the fact when we click on it, we're, 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 the result is children around the world are being abused. Women are being trafficked because of our use of porn. So if we can, within our own uh, friendships, within our own homes, and actually if the church would address this, right? If a senior pastor would stand up on a weekend service, if they'd have the courage to do that, globally there would be an amazing impact.
Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. And that was a conversation from this past spring at the Culture Summit in Nashville, where Gabe talked to Don Brewster of Agape International Missions, talking not just about saving the men, women, and children who are being trafficked, but also having a loving and redemptive mindset and mission for their enemies, the perps, as it were. And Gabe, this is so different, to have a gospel redemptive mindset for the offenders, to have a more holistic viewpoint, to change not just the situation at hand, but the hearts of the bad actors. Bringing repentance could change the situation completely. Everyone just felt the heaviness, the burden, but also the joy of Don and and the way in which he and his wife have so faithfully pursued this mission. I mean, just the story, the kickboxing gym for men, the, the champions that have come out of that. I mean, how much they've invested, not in just rescuing the women, which is obviously essential and important, and, and that's the acute thing that has to happen, but then to stay the course and go, how do we actually stop the systemic nature of this and how it continues to perpetuate itself? Also, the connection to porn. So many people don't always make this connection that the addiction to porn is driving a trafficking industry. And that is something as leaders we must speak to. We must speak to in our congregations. We must talk about this in our families. We have to understand this connection. And so here's what, as I promised at the beginning, I want you to do that will help you know how to take action, how you can be a part of this in your local community, in your family, amongst your friends. How do we be a part of this? And so we've worked together with Amen. We created this guide that's essentially an action guide of how to take action on human trafficking. I think a big question a lot of people have. And so if you go to aimfree.org slash QIdeas, you'll get this resource you can download. It's going to tell you all about things like becoming a CASA volunteer, someone who can engage in your local community to help in these cases. It's also going to talk about the kind of filters you can put on your computers, laptops, your families, your kids that help censor out and keep accountability to not watching porn or when you do it alerting somebody. All of these are these very practical ways in which we can all do better, be better, but also be a part of advancing good in this very important issue. I hope you'll do that. Go to aimfree.org slash QIdeas. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.